So we're doing a series. Last week, uh, Neil started with Jesus is Grace. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I already had on my heart what I wanted to speak about before they told me we were doing a series. But it fits in nicely. So we're going to call it Jesus is Faithful. But I want to change it a wee bit to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are faithful. Because I'm going right back um, to Daniel, to the Old Testament. And I've just been studying it in my own personal time. And there's a couple of stories that I want to just share this morning that just really pick out God's faithfulness. That tell us about God's faithfulness. And so that's me being honest up front. We'll fit it into the series. But Neil only told me a couple of weeks ago, so... We'll blame him. He's not even, he is in the room. It's okay. Sorry. What's up? What's up? I don't read my WhatsApps. Um, and so this morning I want to look at lessons from Daniel and his friends. And I would say most of us in here know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I used to call him Abednego, but it's Abednego. Um, and so I want to look at some stories, well-known stories um, from the book of Daniel don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole book because there's a lot in the book. There's a lot of stuff to get through. But we're just going to take out a few key points this morning about God's faithfulness. And so the background of the book, these were four young Jewish men. They were taken from their home nation. They were taken captive to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And in chapter 1, they were, this is only something I've learned recently, they were, they were as young as 14 years old. So the first story I'm going to read, these were young 13, 14-year-old boys right up to chapter 6 where it said that Daniel was in his 80s, okay? In his mid-80s. So the book in the first six chapters covers an awful lot of time. We read through it and just think it's a couple of days later this happened, but it was over years where God was showing his faithfulness to these young men. And so this morning I want to pull out three things about his faithfulness from the story of Daniel and from his three friends. And it's this, that God's faithfulness I believe, leads to three things within our lives that are outwardly expressed. The first one is influence. So when he's faithful to us, it influences those around us, and it influences us. Number two is that it shows and reveals his glory. People see his glory if he is faithful to us and through us, and if we are faithful in return. And number three is this, it reveals his heart. It reveals the true heart of God when people see his faithfulness working through us. And so these men, they were placed in situations where they were given the opportunity to be faithful to a faithful God. They had the opportunity for their God, remember they were living in captivity in the middle of a culture that did not recognize the one true living God, and they had the the opportunity to reveal his heart for the people that they lived around. And so many people... I'm going to start my timer now. Give me that first few minutes for free. So many people that were in captivity, just like now, they don't realize that in the moment they're in, it is their opportunity to reveal the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the glory of God. They get so caught up in the story of where they're at now that they forget you are on a mission. You're in the middle of this. I've placed you in this because you are to represent me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and my faithfulness. And so the first one we're going to read is Daniel chapter 1. And I'm going to skip through a few verses. Just follow along with me. And I wouldn't actually entitle this. It's called Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar's Court. But I would title this, How to Not Compromise. No Compromise. And that no compromising led to influence. And this first chapter is where we get the well-known Daniel fast. Anybody in here done the Daniel fast? We do it to get skinnier. But Daniel actually done it to prove his God was faithful. 
So I'm going to start at verse 3. I'm going to read it quite quickly, um, so keep up. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Aphanases, I should have learned that word, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine for his own kitchen, from his own kitchens. They were, to, they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with the Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have, you be, have me beheaded. Verse 12, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had eaten the food assigned by the king. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. You follow that? Okay. So chapter one. These were four boys. Four boys. They were said to be of nobility, even royalty from Israel. They were well versed. They were well educated. They were good looking. They were chosen specifically in those things. And they were chosen to serve in the Babylonian court. And so this meant that they were pressured to understand the native language, they were pressured into understanding the culture understanding their ways, understanding their gods. All these things are pushed upon them. The Babylonian worldview, all these things. They even tried to steal their identity by giving them names that pointed to Elohim, the God, to the pagan gods of Babylon. They tried to steal their identity. And do you know what I noticed? Not once did these young men push back. Not that we hear of. Not once did they say no. But when it came to the point of what they were going to put into their body, these four men decided to take a stand. Now, they weren't just being awkward. They didn't decide one day that I'm going to go in Slimming World because I feel like I've got a few bits of love handles that need to get rid of for going on my holidays. They took a stand because of the overflow of their heart and their relationship with God. And so the food that they were being asked to eat was, uh, was given before the gods of Babylon. It was offered to false gods, and according to Mosaic law, they couldn't eat it. And so they were being faithful to their God and taking a stand. Now, things have changed in the New Testament. But in this, in this time, they were taking a stand for what they believed their God was asking them to do. And one thing I noticed in the middle of it is these young men, 
Now, maybe they were 13 or 14 when it started, but it's by the end of this chapter, it's three years later in service, so they're maybe 16, 17. But how do you, who, what 16 or 17-year-olds do you know that if brought before the king of the land that had the ability to behead you, you would stand up and say, no. We love our God so much that we will not defile ourselves no matter what you say. I couldn't do it. Could you? And so I want to look at how these young men were able to take this stand to their faithful God. And I believe it was this, that they had been prepared to pursue holiness. This wasn't just a spare of the moment, you know what, we're going to take a stand today. You know, like tomorrow morning, it's always a Monday, I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow. So you're always going to go on a diet on Monday. But you fill yourself with Chinese nonsense and donuts on a Sunday morning because you fail to prepare your body for it. They tell you if you're going to go on a long fast, you actually have to wean yourself down and prepare yourself for it. And the same thing comes with taking your stand and the holiness that is within you. It's something that needs to come over time and is prepared. And I believe there's four things that these young men uh, were prepared, how they were prepared. As they tried to steal their identity through their name, as they tried to steal their mind through their teaching, and as they tried to steal their body through the food that they ate. Those are, uh, that's another sermon in itself. But the first one was this. They were influenced by their church. They were influenced by the body of people that were on a mission just like this one. And how do we know that? If it's correct, Daniel was born in 622 BC and something else happened in 622 BC. Now, I'm not smart. This is from a book, so it's all stolen. But apparently, Josiah, king of Israel, opened the temple in 622 BC. At the same time, the scrolls, the word of God, was rediscovered by their people in 622 BC, which means that when Daniel was born, the church was coming alive again. And it said that in that time period, revival hit the people of Israel. And so Daniel was born into revival. And what happened? He grew up to be a strong man filled with the Spirit of God. This morning, I want my kids to be walking in a church family that loves Jesus and that is in a place of revival, that is in an overflow. This morning, I just kept repeating the word as we were singing, I want to be saturated, God. I want to be saturated by you so that I can overflow. The church was alive. Number two, they were influenced by their parents. Now, we don't know much about Daniel's parents, but Daniel's name means God is my judge. And do you know the way nowadays we have baby books and all the Bible names are pretty popular? Back then, Bible names were nearly a death sentence. You don't call your son something that's going to point to Elohim. You don't call your son after a God that nobody else wants to follow apart from these crazy Israelites. So it tells us that these parents loved God and they wanted their sons to walk in his ways. And so parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts, we have the opportunity to influence young people so that when they are older and we're not about, they have the power to stand and they have faith in the faithfulness of God. Number three, they were influenced by each other. Later on, we'll see that these young men stood up in the fiery furnace, I believe, because Daniel in chapter one took a stand and they loved Daniel. He was their friend and they thought if he can do it, we can do it. It's so important to have the right people around you that influence you. Number four, they were influenced most importantly by God. He was their focus point. He was their center. I believe their lives revolved around him and not the other. And so these God, their God was faithful, but 
got myself in trouble yesterday for a Facebook thing that I put, but people thought Nick was having another baby. She's definitely not. But they were faithful back. They were faithful to God. And so Rodney, Rodney's store says this, in order to overcome the pressure to compromise our holiness, we need to have an adequate preparation to pursue it. We need to be bathed in the teaching of God through his word and his spirit. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have an adequate, an adequate preparation to pursue God? What does your week look like in pursuing God? And saying, God, this morning I woke up at four o'clock and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I said, God, I do not want to get up here this morning unless your spirit goes with me. And so in this week ahead, what does your pursuing the Father look like? Because he's faithful. And he's looking for a people to put up their hand and say, God, I want to be faithful back to you no matter what circumstances I find myself in. And so as I was reading through this this week, I found myself more interested in why were these men so faithful? Why, did they, why were they so confident in God? And there's a song going about at the minute that says this. Because you and I, we've got history. We go way, way back. And I kept singing that over and over. And I believe that's what these young men had. We've got history. We come from Israel that is in revival. We have seen God working we have seen God moving, put it in the modern day context. We have seen the power of God. We have seen the gifts of the Spirit moving and people freed and people healed. I have seen it. Have you seen it? And so this morning, I believe they had history. They went way back. Doesn't matter what I'm facing right now because I've seen God move before. Do you have history this morning? You know, as humans, we're so good at remembering the bad things. We always remember the negative. I find I need to write down all the positive things that, for my wife that I do, because she forgets. There wouldn't be very long this sometimes. But what about those unanswered prayers? What about the one Gareth Brooks had? I believe that song's about a girl. She was beautiful in school, but when she got a bit older, whew, went a bit bad, and he was like, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer. But what prayers in your life do you have that you're like, you know what, God, I'm so thankful that you did not do what I asked. Because in the middle of it, I couldn't see what was happening. You know, faith is, it's like a muscle and it needs exercise. It needs pushed to its limits to grow and to build. Sometimes it's sore. Isn't that right, Andrew? Met Andrew coming out of the gym this week and he was like, (laughs) I was the same after, I couldn't walk either. Sometimes it's sore when you work these things, but you know it's for your good. You know it's for your benefit. And so we need to look for and seize daily opportunities to reveal his faithfulness, which ultimately um, leads to his glory. And so one thing I've noticed from these stories and as I read through the New Testament is that personal holiness brings power, power if you're American. Daniel's personal holiness led to him influencing three kings. Three kings. He was brought into the courts of three kings because of the spirit of the living God living within him. And so we have a choice today. We can either live in a place of influence that is positive or negative, that pulls people to Jesus or pushes them away or actually sometimes makes them run as fast as they can away from him. 
all of God's people, we face pressure to compromise on a daily basis. We face pressure to, like Peter said, I don't know who Jesus is. Or we can take a stand like these three men who were willing to lay their lives on the line and sacrifice for Jesus. And as I read through that line this week, I realized, you know what? It's really not sacrifice. These men knew who their God was. And this morning here, if you know who Jesus is in your life, you know it's not a sacrifice. Why? Because we honor the ones we love. And I believe these men, it was an overflow of honor to their God that well, I want to give my life to you. I want to dedicate my life to you, to be with you, like Paul said. Oh, so much better. But I want to remain here to be influential and talk about your faithfulness. This week, I started watching um, a couple of short videos on, on Facebook about a guy called Tom Brady. Anybody know who Tom Brady is? The most famous quarterback of all time. He's won five Super Bowls now. And he's dedicated his life to American football. And he says this within um, about 30 seconds of the first episode. He said, my whole life is focused around football. I've given my body, my everything, my every bit of energy for 18 years. So if you want to come against me, you'd better be willing to give up your life because I'm giving up mine. He didn't say, I have given. He said, I'm giving I continue on a daily basis to give up my life for what I love and what I'm sold out for. And so I believe that's what these three men had decided to do, and Daniel. And continuing that thought, I want to read through um, the next story, found in Daniel 3. I'll read through as quick as I can. Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn and so on, the musical instruments, bow to the ground, worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of all the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue they have set up. 1 verse 15. King Nebuchadnezzar says to them, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue you have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Never read it in that context. My power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods and worship the gold statue. And if we go right down to verse 28, after they came out of the fire, there was seven times hotter and the angel walked around with them and there wasn't a hair burnt on their head. There wasn't a smell of smoke. King Nebuchadnezzar says this, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. 
He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other god except their own. You follow that okay? And so our faith is not based on anything else except his faithfulness. Our faith is based on his faithfulness. Our faith is based on his faithfulness. And by this stage, these three young men, they understood about God and his faithfulness. They had history. And in this story, we see two parts of that faith in action. Obedience and trust. And that obedience and trust, it led to God being given glory in that situation. They were influenced by Daniel. Chapter 1 we heard the story and then chapter two, Daniel stands up and says, I, I will interpret your dream. I'll tell you your dream and I'll interpret your dream to the king. He went before God that night and he pleaded with him, God, give me the dream, give me the interpretation. These men had seen God's faithfulness in action. Storch says again that biblical faith, faith has the assurance to say, I know my God is able to deliver me. It has the confidence to say, I believe that my God will deliver me. But it also has a submission to say, but even if he does not, I will still trust him. And so it's hard to believe sometimes in God's faithfulness. It's hard to believe in the middle of situations. It's okay, it's my son. You can shout at him if you want. In the middle of situations when things aren't going the way we think they should be or the way we want them to be. Imagine being in a furnace that was seven times hotter than it should have been. I think those guys... They were okay to have a few doubts in that moment. They were okay to be freaking out. But sometimes in the middle of it all, whatever you're facing, we're wanting a miracle. We're wanting healed. But maybe God's saying, you know what? There's something in your heart that's more important to me that needs work. There's something in your soul that I want to do work in before I do work in your body. We miss the miracle because we're not ready to do the simple things. Now me and Nicola, we have a guilty pleasure. We watch my 600 pound life. So we watch these people that go in and they follow them for a year and they get really skinny and then they get operations to take their skin off. And we even made Ronnie and Karen watch it one night and they've never been back. But do you know what it is with most of them? They know what they need to do. And it's the same with lots of other things, but they're not willing to take the small, simple steps to start that process. And sometimes with us, as we face these things, we're not willing to just take those simple steps. You know, Christianity is so simple, but scholars have made it so elite and out of reach. It's so simple. Please, this morning, do not let God's method make you miss the miracle. Don't let his method make you miss the miracle. And so we're asking for the miracle, but he's saying, I want you to walk with me. I want you to abide in me. I want you to seek me. I want you to be overflowing with me. And Jesus, he always asked, what do you want me to do for you? Do you know a question he never asked? How do you want me to do it? He never gave you the option of how, but he asked you what? Maybe this morning you're saying, God, this is what I want you to do. And maybe he's saying, well, I'm trying to, but you're not listening. Our faith is based on his faithfulness. But for me, I believe there was a key for these men. And the key was this. The key was abiding. Do you know abiding means to continue without fading? 
Continue without fearing to trust. Continue without fearing to listen. Continue without fearing to respond like Jesus. Continue without fearing to love. Continue without fearing to see the best in people, to see in them what Jesus sees in them and not what you physically see in them. Because God has this way of overturning our hearts. Have you ever done that? You ever had a fight with someone or you had a conversation with someone and you go out and you say, Lord, was that okay? And in an instant, you know, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have said that. His spirit has a way of overturning things in your life that you know just need the spirit of God to put you right. He has a way of helping us to think differently. John 15, four to five, in the Passion Translation, it says this. So you must remain in life union with me for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to me. I'm the spreading vine and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. How many people try to live a life unconnected, not abiding with the Father. I go back to one of the first sermons I ever preached. If you don't plug your iPhone in every day, it drains down and is useless. And actually, I heard a guy this week tell me in the phone hub that if you leave it off for a certain period of time, the battery dies, it can never be charged again. God is saying, I continually need you to abide in me because through that, rises your, your faith rises. Through that, people can see my faithfulness through you. Even Jesus realized that God's will was not in line with what he wanted. He said in Luke 22, 42, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not your will, but mine. Faith is submitting to the Father even when it's different from what we want. Our faith is grounded his faithfulness. I've done it before, I can do it again. I've done it before, and I can do it again. Now, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, just before I went to America, one of my trips, someone gave me a word about breakthrough. And you maybe heard this story before, but I think it's so important. And as I was preaching that morning in America, at the end, I asked for people to come up and pray for breakthrough. And this lady came up who was in, had five weeks to live with cancer. It had riddled her lungs. My goodness, did I have faith? No. But in that moment, I said, people, everyone gather around her. Everyone put their hands and let's pray. In the second service that day, I remember clearly feeling God saying, I want you to engage everyone in the story of this lady. So get everyone this week fasting and praying for this lady. And that's what we've done. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from the pastor. And with tears, he was saying, this lady came back to him and they could not find a trace of any cancer within her body. Now, no matter what you believe, what background you come from, I have seen it. I have prayed since and nothing's happened, but you know what? I will keep praying because I've seen it and he will do it again. And so no matter what circumstances you're going through, you will never have all the answers. You will never know what's happening. It might be the end of you, but God is faithful. Like Daniel and these men, we're not in control. And so our overflow of consistency on a daily basis, every day, everywhere, one of our slogans, reveals God to the world. 
It's the consistency within us. It's that levelness when people look at us and go, how do you go through what you're going through? Because we have a hope in Jesus because Jesus is faithful. We have a choice to make. Daniel 6, verse 10, the well-known story of Daniel in the lion's den. It says this, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, that they had to worship uh, the king, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With its window open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. We want to control everything, but really we just need to say, God, what I have is a gift to you. And I'm going to continue as I always have done through these circumstances. We have from abiding to make daily choices. What I believe Daniel done and what I believe his friends done was make the visible or invisible visible. They made the kingdom of heaven visible to those around them. And so your stories of faithfulness are a way of you making sure that people know about this kingdom of heaven that lives within us, that is invading through us, and that we carry with us because of the faithfulness, because of the stories that we can release as we go into the community, because of the hope that we can bring, that we have, that we need to give away. We are supposed to be his contributors here to earth. And so that statement, as heaven, as in heaven, as it is on earth, It was measurable in these men's life. And I want to ask you this morning, is it measurable in yours? When people follow you for a few days, do they say, my goodness, the kingdom of heaven is abiding, is overflowing. The faithfulness of God is all over them. And I'm preaching to myself. Tells us in the verse we read that abiding equals fruit and not abiding equals powerlessness. And so in this book, in Daniel, these men continually and consistently opened their mouths because they trusted God. They stepped up because they had a confidence, because they were abiding and they had a relationship with the living God. And here's what I pulled from these three in the, in the, in the, the fiery furnace. Our response tells people more than the outcome. Our response tells people more about our God than the outcome of the situation. Think about your responses this week situations you faced does your response point to a faithful God who's done it before and can do it again and the outcome of Daniel's story in the lion's den in Daniel 6 26 resulted in this I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel for he he is the living God and he will endure forever his kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end even the king give glory to God because of Daniel's faithfulness and because of God's faithfulness to Daniel's faith a lot of faith there The other three stepped out in confidence. They said, even if God doesn't respond, even if God doesn't respond, which showed me this, that their confidence was not in the physical outcome. If you have Jesus this morning, your response is not in your physical outcome. You have something special living within you and residing within you. Our faithful God. He's maybe given you opportunities to reveal his glory. But here's one thing I've noticed from this story also, that for God to be given glory, the glory has to come out of our mouths first sometimes. We have to give the opportunity in the physical for God to be given the glory. Now, don't get me wrong, God can do what he wants. But so often we're closet Christians, Neil. We're quiet about his faithfulness. Yeah, he's really faithful. 
I want to shout it from the rooftops. And that's what I do whenever I see someone healed or whenever I see a miracle or a God provides. I tell people. Because I want people to know about my faithful God. I don't want to be quiet. I want to shout it from the rooftops about what he's done. And so in this story, in Daniel, when he said he went to his upper room, he opened the windows as he usually did. Now, these weren't little windows. These were big doors that would have opened out. And the city below would have seen this man of God praying where he always prayed, even though he had been told not to. And everyone in that city knew, you cannot pray. But Daniel stood his ground because he, was, he had faith in the faithfulness of God. So practically, nearly done. What are you facing in life that can cause you to take your focus off God? Two, what is causing you to doubt and miss your potential? Maybe it's your identity is being stolen. Maybe the culture around you is stealing it. Maybe the way you're thinking is totally manipulating your view of God and his faithfulness. Three, are, you surround, are your surroundings, your circumstances causing you to doubt the blueprint that God has for your life? Who you are, what you are, where you are, why you're here. Where in your life has God positioned you to bring influence? Where in your life do you need to start revealing God's glory? Where do you need to start shining it from the rooftops? That's telling me I have to be quiet now. There we go. Give me two more minutes. Where in your life is God giving you the opportunity to step up? The fields are ripe, but the laborers are few. And so I'm asking this morning, actually, I'm telling you, He is faithful no matter what you think. He's calling for the laborers to have faith in his faithfulness. These men constantly put their lives on the line, but the difference for them was their perspective. It's who they were listening to as they abided. They had solid foundations. They had faith on his faithfulness. In James 1 verse 60, it says, just make sure you ask in part by confidence, confident faith without doubting that you will receive. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up up one minute and tossed down the next. We need to be solid we need to stand firm, not toss to and fro. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like whenever sometimes you go to McDonald's and you're standing and the boys don't have a clue what they want. And I go in, because I go in and I know what I want. I'm straight away. But people that waver to and fro, it's a lot more important than the McDonald's line. Stop being double-minded. The story of the, of the furnace, they could have said, you know what, we'll not. We'll not worship this God. Okay, we'll give in. But no, they didn't. Daniel said, I could have said, you know what? I'll pray downstairs in the corner. You'll still see me, but they'll not. But no, he took the stand. And he got on his knees where he always did. And he opened the window to show the glory of God. In Joshua, he's told over and over, be bold and courageous. Now, let me tell you this. God wouldn't say to someone over and over, be bold and courageous, if they didn't need to be bold and courageous. We have the opportunity for our thinking to be renewed. Graham Cook says this, the starting place of your thinking always affects your outcome. How are you thinking this morning? I want to say this, start with this. Your faith is based on his faithfulness. Your faith is based on his faithfulness, not what you can do. And let me finish here. Like Daniel, I want to ask how you're maintaining Christ living within you. 
the Old Testament was a visitation. He came and visited certain people, certain times he visited. The New Testament is habitation. He comes in and resides and lives within you. And so how are you creating space in this new habitation for a faithful God? How are you getting yourself set up on a solid rock and foundation so that when trials come, you're not wavering to and fro. You're solid on Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, because it's about his faithfulness. His life was centered on the God he loved, the God who was faithful to him, the God who was faithful back. And despite his circumstances, his God was enough for him. His God's enough for me. I want to ask you the question this morning. Is his God enough for you? Is God enough for you? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to read you this story as I finish. Because if you don't have history this morning, if you don't know what I'm talking about, about this faithful God, maybe you're a Christian, but you're nearly empty. You need a good shake. Maybe you've never shouted it from the rooftops about his faithfulness. Maybe you don't have a clue about these things that I'm talking about, where God heals and where God reveals and where God speaks. I want to ask this morning for you to open up yourself and go, God, I want more because people out there need it. Brian Chappelle tells a story of a Christian miner who was injured at a young age and became an invalid who spent his time watching through the window from his bed as life passed by. He watched as men his own age prospered, raised families and, his, and had grandchildren. As he watched his body withered, his house crumbled and his life wasted away. One day when the bedridden miner was quite old, a younger man came to visit him. I hear that you believe in God and claim that he loves you. How can you believe such things after all that has happened to you? Don't you sometimes doubt God's love? The old man hesitated and then smiled. Yes, it's true. Sometimes Satan comes calling on me in this fallen, this fallen down house of mine. He sits right there at my bedside where you're sitting now. He points out my window to the men I once worked with who are still strong and active. And he asks, does Jesus really love you? Then Satan casts a jeering glance around my tattered room as he points to the fine homes of my friends across the street and asks again, does Jesus really love you? Then at last, Satan points to the grandchildren of a friend of mine, a man who is everything I do not, and Satan waits, waits for the tears in my eyes before he whispers in my ear, does Jesus really love you? And what do you say when Satan speaks to you that way? Asked the young man. The old miner said, I take Satan by my hand, and I lead him in my mind to a hill far away called Calvary. There I point to the thorn-tortured brow, to the nail-pierced hands, and the feet to, and to the feet and the spear-wounded side. Then I say, Satan, you tell me, doesn't Jesus love me? Calvary is the measure of the Savior's love for us. The cross is the warrant for the confidence in God's love despite lifelong heartaches. When our focus remains on the cross, our faith will not waver through troubles and challenges and when human answers fail. In the end, all that matters is he is faithful. Amen. Mm-hmm.